Hey, what is going on, everyone? This is Jake with Exodus. On this week's episode of The Lane Podcast, we have another great episode here for you guys. It is with Jeff Sturgis, and we recorded this episode when we were with him in June. Uh, we had the chance to spend about a day and a half with him. We did a complete farm tour, we recorded a ton of podcasts, and we also recorded a Whitetail Cribs. So, all that content is going to be found on our YouTube channel, Exodus Trail Cameras, and also the other podcast, Trail Cam Radio. So if you want to hear more of Jeff's content, you can head over there and obviously head over to his YouTube channel, Whitetail Habitat Solutions. This episode is a little bit different spin. So this is basically Jeff's entire land journey and land story from zero acres to where he is today and how he really leveraged relationships with banks and um, land contracts and is just a really interesting conversation to hear someone that has actually done it and hopefully you guys enjoy i know i did it's always cool to hear these stories and to see from zero to 200 plus acres and um that takes a lot of hard work and a lot of expertise and we cover all that here in this episode also before we get into this just want to make mention of the land podcast sign up so if you head over to the link tree there is a resource sign up where you can sign up and get a free book from pat porter or um, we're going to be having some more exclusive content that's going to be helping you guys purchase your first piece of ground so it's kind of in the infancy right now but i want to appreciate everyone that has already gone and signed up on the link tree sign up and it is just in the show notes so anyways let's go ahead and get right into it hope you guys enjoy it we're live and this is the land podcast lake so we've been cranking out some trail cam radio episodes mm-hmm. and we're sitting here on a farm that you purchased last year right yes yep and to me it's the it's the dream setup i mean this is what i think everyone dreams of and it yeah. takes we've uh, been very fortunate decades of work <laughs> and work. focus yeah and maybe a couple of good breaks along the way but i find so many people this is the end goal this is where they want to be but often the very first step towards this is the hardest piece and it takes a long time to compound into something like where you're at today. Would you agree with that? I would say so for sure. Yeah. So I guess for briefly kind of tell us a little bit about, about yourself and kind of your career development. Like what I know you were an appraiser at one point, you mentioned this Mm -hmm. last podcast, you worked at the bank. I don't know if that was through the appraisals or not. Just kind of that career journey a little bit. Well, I I first started out in banking in, in 1990 and I worked there for, eight and a half years and at the end at a at a branch i was branch manager of different branches i met the local real estate appraisal i was ordering appraisals yeah. and, and completing mortgages and installment loans and and i did investments at, at bank and he asked me if i wanted to come work with him so i did and it was pretty interesting because it taught me a lot about buying and selling mm-hmm. and creative ways to buy and sell and so that was that was pretty cool in itself i was an appraiser for a while from 99 to 2010 and I started my whitetail business in 05. Mm-hmm. I probably should have gone full-time with that in 08, but I waited till 2010. It was a big, you know, just big a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a, I was self-employed, so I could actually really begin and follow the whitetail business while I had a good career. That career was going down because of the housing market in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the UP of Michigan, it got hit really hard, yeah. where land values really were cut. Nothing was selling. It didn't matter if it was a house, cabin on a lake, or, or you know hunting land. And so that's one of the reasons I probably should have 
gone full time a little bit before because the whitetail business is going like this, the land <laughs> business is going, or real estate business, yeah. appraisal business was going down. So, and then I've been full time in the whitetail industry for um, eleven years. So it's been been quite a while and been a huge journey with that and along the way i, I did buy my first uh, parcel in 1995 a hunting parcel and so when you're still working at the bank yes right? yep yeah how old so, were you when you bought that i was 25 25 years old yeah tell it okay how big was the parcel it was uh i think 36.75 acres <laughs> to be exact <laughs> yeah <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> what so how long did you want to Walk me through like that first piece. Like, how long were you looking? Were you saving every, socking away every penny you could to get, you know, to buy that parcel? Why did you want to buy a piece? We wanted to buy a piece to actually move to the Thumb area. I'd hunted there since 1987, the Thumb area of Michigan, and it was just a beautiful place to live. In fact, I'd hunted in that section of land for, oh boy, it would have been eight years at that point. And so, it was a really nice area. knew a lot of people in there, and so it was a, it was a nice step to move there. We didn't have a lot of money to put down, mm-hmm. and at that time, they were a lot more flexible, especially if you went through a local bar- bank that understood the values in the area. Mm-hmm. And that's changed a lot now. I don't know what we put down, but it wasn't that much, and we were at... Eleven twenty-five an acre when we bought it, which the farmers in the area, people that had been around there for a long time, really scoffed at that amount. Mm-hmm. But uh, two years later, or three years later, it would have been about two years maybe. We moved to the UP in Michigan, and and in doing so, it went from eleven twenty-five an acre to fifteen hundred an acre just mm-hmm. in two years. So we bought it at a good time, but it was it was tough. We I would say we found more a local bank that helped us than anybody Mm -hmm. as far as helping us rearrange financing and be able to have a small down payment and Mm -hmm. was that a single single branch bank or not quite it was a handful of branches and that was it Mm -hmm. it was a local bank so that that helped greatly yeah they humanized the process so much more than a a major corporation well they they lend they were lending institution to farmers and local Mm -hmm. business people and so they understood the area and they understood the values were going up and Mm -hmm. so that helped greatly that was a different time yeah if you look at it that way yeah true because i feel 19 i was one year old (laughs) (laughs) but i feel that that industry and space or segment of real estate even from 1995 to 2021 would you say has taken kind of an, uh, a form of itself in terms of just solidifying itself or maturing because i mean if you think i imagine 1995 there probably wasn't it feels like 100 different land brokerages <laughs> there wasn't right. you know specialized land agents it was just, i feel like a much more the the market was kind oh, of in infancy oh, certainly a huge difference i mean that was just listed by a local realtor yeah they knew nothing about hunting, and that's where even in the even in the two thousands in the UP, most of the realtors who were selling land were not hunters, even though they were selling hunting land. And that's just changed so much, and and so much more specialized now. So you bought that in nineteen ninety five, thirty seven point seven five acres, mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> How long did you have 36. that? Thirty six point seven five, about two years. Two years. So and it went up approximately forty percent value, forty five percent value during that time. So. So a really good return. About 40%. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah very good return. Ex- extremely strong. And so the reason you bought that is because you wanted to move or did you just want your yeah, own little We wanted to move to there and have hunting land. And mm-hmm. I was a pretty, you know, pretty property right along the Cass River. I'd hunted in that section, like I said, for seven, eight years. And 
eight years, I think. So really wanted to be in that location. And we went through house plans, everything. And it was just at a point where we were up there in the UP vacation in the same spot we had many times. And thought, why don't we just move here? So we did. Wow. Okay. So then you sold it two years later, made 40%. And then what? So that puts you at 1997. Mm-hmm. So did you, when you sold that piece, did you go into something else or do you just take that, that money and we put it into our home up in the UP. Mm-hmm. So we were able to have a down payment then, mm-hmm. put it into there. And along the way, too, we, we had purchased our first home mm-hmm. in 96, 95, right around there. And I had a for sale sign in the front yard in the first month. Redid the hardwood floors, ripped out five shades of green shag carpet, painted, <laughs> painted the garage, cleaned it up, mowed the lawn, trimmed the bushes. And... You know, we had to borrow our down payment. I think we had to borrow, it was 5% down payment. It was a $50,000 home. Mm-hmm. And we put 2,500 down. We sold it for 65 in three months. Mm-hmm. And so we put that into our next home. And that was a house of five acres. I split off three acres as a building lot and then sold that for, let's say, 15000 And then we sold the house and two acres for 5000 more than we had paid for the house and five acres. To begin with, that all went into the house up north, too. Interesting. So that was probably like when you were 28 then, 27? 27. 27? 27, 28, yep. Okay, so I'm following, I'm trying to follow like your journey of life here a little bit. Yeah. And so, and then what happened next? Well, from there, we were able to, you know, we had a lot more down for the house up in the UP, so we had a, more, a lot more equity. Mm-hmm. And so we had to borrow it at first, and then we were able to pay that back and put money more down on our second home. And then we got money from the land sales, so we were able to move up north and, and then put a, a decent down payment on our house and 10 acres there. Mm-hmm. And I immediately contacted the owner of the 120 behind us because you could tell they hadn't used it, found where he lived in lower Michigan and wrote him a letter and, and he agreed to sell it to us. So 120, you said? Yeah, 120. And that was cheaper acreage up sure, there yeah. you know, compared to where we came from. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. I think I think it was 750 an acre and we had sold at 1500 an acre down, down state, something like that. So, okay. so that, you know, that was part of that, you know, being able to push, put that equity into something else. So. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was the driving factor behind all, all of this? Cause if you, that's a lot of move, like that's a, that's a lot of transactions for someone during that time into, to, I guess, going to, to a hundred like, acre park. I liked figuring out how to do it. Uh-huh. And there really wasn't a lot to read about, you know, for anybody to help you. But, um, and then, you know, again, going back to local banks, we used a bank called People State Bank up in Munising, and they're just a great local lender. It's been open, owned by the Nebel family for a hundred years or whatever it's mm-hmm. been. And, and so even they were creative at financing and mm-hmm. they wanted to help people that were working hard and, and, uh, and make money. So, and, and not necessarily make money, but be able to buy land, make a figure out purchase. ways to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. Would you say that's one of the most important things for someone getting started out is to trying to develop or find a home with a bank? Or shopping uh, around, you know. Really, if you're buying acreage, going through a local lender is mm-hmm. is critical. And it even went forward to when we moved to uh, Coon Valley. I was down here in 2012. I opened an account at a local bank, the River State Bank, mm-hmm. and and then from there, you know, River State Bank is just. I think they have five branches, and we still have bank accounts there today. And it's just. You know, we like the local. I've I've worked with Park Bank as another small bank around here, mm-hmm. credit unions, and so those local lenders are just incredible. And you get to work with people that aren't part of a national organization where you just get lost. 
Yeah. I, they I just know the market. They're more familiar with in-house lending mm-hmm. where they're not going through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They have their own set of rules. And so it's more of a risk to them. But at the same time, they, they're educated and experienced about taking that risk. Mm-hmm. So if someone is listening to this right now and they're, they're at step zero right now, would mm-hmm. you say that's one of the very first steps? Yeah. If you, you're going to be very discouraged if you, you know, nothing uh, against Wells Fargo or some of those giant banks. I worked at TCF Bank for a long time. Twin Cities Federal, they've been around a long time. They're huge. And uh, they just keep gobbling up other banks. But if you go with those big banks, they have to be very black and white. They can't leave it up to a lender or even a board to make decisions. They're you know, a small group of local people that are on that board making decisions for the welfare of the bank, they have to just have black and white rules Strict that are followed. Yeah. And that means they're, they fall within a smaller window of potential of who they're going to lend to. Mm-hmm. And so a local lender should be the first person you, you talk to. And what's nice that you're going back to the specialized lenders, like we deal with uh, Chad Garteski around here in the area and Weiss Realty. Gordy Weiss started that. He was an incredible person. He unfortunately passed away last fall. Just you know, wildly successful in western Wisconsin, eastern Minnesota. And, and they still are the number one, I'm sure, by far, real estate agent around here, real estate mm-hmm. uh, broker. And But if you went and talked to Chad, he'd tell you, go to this person, go to this lender, go to that lender, because they want to make the deal work. And yeah. so these good agents are deal, deal makers. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to tell you, they're going to give you a lot of input, and you should listen to them. What title company? What local attorney? We we had a, you know our latest land deal just a couple months ago. We we bought from a from a uh, father and son, and that land had been in their family since 1855. They literally bought it from the U.S. government, and I've had a lot of deals in between. But that was very. I mean, we we had to sit down. It wasn't listed through an agent, mm-hmm. but I still paid Chad a fee to sit down with them and and put a purchase agreement together and facilitate the transaction transaction that I believe if Chad would not have been the, a part of it, we would not have made Worked the deal part. work. Yeah. yeah but he was a great intermediate. Yeah. Intermediary. Yeah. Which is interesting. You bring that up because a lot of times I think a lot of those deals that don't necessarily hit the market, there's still some sort of professional in there that's facilitating the yeah. deal one way or another. It, and I mean that in, in the best way possible too, to make well, two parties happy. You know, what's interesting. Chad told me because we've had a lot of heat, we bought and land and sold it in Alma, Wisconsin, Buffalo County and fixed it up almost like a fixer upper so that, and then once we had that deposit and sold that, we were able to step over to our house and land over here. So we bought and sold that through Chad. He sold our house in Coon Valley we bought this house through Chad. He had sold this <laughs> land to the owner that built the house here. He'd sold all the land in yeah. the area. He hunts near us, really close to us. We even share buck pictures. And so he's more than just an acquaintance, and and I trust him. But, you know, it again, without him in the process, it would have been, I, I just don't think it would work. And what's interesting, he told me that a lot of times he doesn't work with individuals on a private land sale mm-hmm. because there's so many different complexities that come up he said you know for a small fee small fee meaning compared to what a commission is of a land that you normally get as an agent Mm -hmm. uh, it's more headache than it's worth yeah and so his his cost per time goes (laughs) way up (laughs) so yeah um, he doesn't make as much money compared to the time on other projects he agreed to do it for us and we tried to help him because we've done a lot of deals with them well we sat down with the previous owners and we got to know their cat their dog we had beer with them we looked at the 
pictures, frame pictures of the original deed from the U.S. government selling it to their family in 1855. I mean, we mm-hmm. we got to know them quite a bit, and we tried to address all their concerns and do mm-hmm. it on a one-on-one basis. And then Chad solidified it, putting it all together for us. So it was a lot of steps, and um, and I felt comfortable talking to him because. I'd done a lot of different land deals in the past and was familiar with the process, but boy, without the agent, it would have, it would have not worked. So you think finding a good professional that is an expert in that area is, is key to, to making a lot of these deals happen with great efficiency? I do. Mm-hmm. And even in the past, I learned a long time ago, um, I've had advice from different people, but you know, and this is, isn't always the way it works because we like working through Chad, but he has most of the listings in the area. So almost <laughs> right. everything he looked at, he was... He already had a list. <laughs> most of it, yeah, yeah. But certainly this place that we bought. But it's always nice because what I found is a lot of good agents want to make the deal work. And uh, and so if you list something and I go through you and we're three or 4,000 apart from the seller, you know, there's there are ways to be flexible, even to yeah. cut a little bit of commission. Say, mm-hmm. we want to. I had a real estate broker friend of mine, Jerry Lasak, in the past, and Jerry was an awesome man. And but he he always wanted he wanted to be a deal maker. Yeah. And and so he, you know, for a few thousand dollars on a two hundred thousand dollar purchase, he wasn't going to let that deal go. Mm-hmm. And so even if he cut his own commission, he was just going to make it work. Yeah. And he knew the, the local bankers. And so mm-hmm. the, some of the best agents, not only do they know the area for hunting, but they're deal makers. So mm-hmm. not necessarily the best hunter in the area that just happened to yeah. turn to real estate. I know people that have been in the hunting industry and they're all of a sudden real estate agents because the hunting industry, the TV industry is going down mm-hmm. and uh, all of a sudden they're selling real estate. Well, that doesn't mean they're a deal maker. Yeah. I mean, you have, I, so I, it's weird. All my deals are like within a 30 minute drive from where I was born and raised. Yeah, and outside of that, That's so I don't I don't feel like I can help someone outside of that area because once again I know the attorneys, I know the bankers, the local bankers, um, know the areas, it, know the property at owners. At least an area two hours away, you'd know what to look for. You know, yeah. you could ask questions to a local banker. Do you do mm-hmm. this? A yeah. uh, local title company, a local attorney, something mm-hmm. you would know who to look for. Yeah, you know the process, mm-hmm. and that's where that's that you know. A deal maker is a deal maker. Yeah, wherever you go, and that's more important than almost. Yeah, you're a good hunter in the area. You know the land yeah. in the area, but that doesn't necessarily make deals. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and that's where I think agents are fiduciaries for the people that they're helping. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're that's their job is to help you. It's not to it's not to help themselves. And right. I think sometimes right. you know I think the good agents are always very selfless, regardless. But oh yeah, but there's I mean there's just like any profession. There's good people and there's bad people, and mm-hmm. that's just the way. That's the just the way that it goes. Yeah, we've had a lot of steps along the way, good and bad. You know, with yeah. uh, real estate, mostly all good. But mm-hmm. you know, we like I said, we went through the housing uh, market yeah. crash in the two thousands, and that hurt us a little bit. But uh, you know, there was. It, there's yeah there's a lot we talked about some of the other deals we did along the way but mm-hmm. so what happened after the 120 acres in Michigan we wanted more land <laughs> in that area there wasn't a lot of private land there was federal forest on all sides of us mm-hmm. and so there was public land right next to us federal land and I was a real estate appraiser and I went out to a parcel and and I was looking I was appraising a private parcel and then next door to it there's a parcel for sale and it was in a designated federal wilderness area. Mm. And it was a 40 acres surrounded by the Fed land. And I just thought right away, I bet you the feds want this. And yeah. so what I did is I went and secured a purchase agreement uh, to buy it right away without even talking to my wife and <laughs> went and secured it. And I immediately 
I, I had an out, you know, satisfactory walk into the lines, you know, something gray to where mm-hmm. if I didn't like where the lines laid, then we could get out of it. Yeah. And I, I called the lands manager for the federal in the federal land in the area, and he said, we've been wanting to buy that for 25 years. We've made multiple offers. We'll give you any land in the entire country, Alaska included. We'll swap what? value for, for value, so you just tell me what you want. And we ended up exchanging that 40 for 50, and, and that 40 was limited. It had a canyon going through, and it was a trout stream. Mm-hmm. But hard to get into, hard to access because you had to walk through federal land to get there. Yeah. Where we had land right next door that had veneer timber on it um, and good timber value was federal land. They don't cut it very often. Mm -hmm. We ended up exchanging 40 for 50. The problem was 52. We had to get our congressman involved. It it took five years, it it was, or four years, just because it was uh, government. It just, it was extremely slow. And, Basically, I had the appraiser that had to come out three times and keep redoing appraisals because they were outside the six-month window. Yeah. Tell me you're just not the squeakiest wheel. She yeah. said, you really need to. She she even said, and she was a federal lands appraiser. It's a little bit different than what I did with mm-hmm. more real estate and small commercial. But she told me to call my local congressman, and, and I'm like, well, I didn't vote for him. And she said, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to work for you regardless. Yeah. I said, okay. Boy, we closed that in like three months. Wow. Calling the local congressman. So something that was supposed to take 18 months to two years He's, took four. Well, there's something to be said about that, just being persistent. Yeah, well, it was. Ask, so. how, how'd, you get, how'd, how'd you get a purchase agreement after the federal ground, or the, the federal, were they, so they were trying to buy this 40 forever, and then you found it, and you were able to get it under contract? Do I understand that correctly? Yes. It okay. was just listed. They didn't realize it was listed through an agent. <laughs> yeah, they didn't realize it was listed at that time. They're not scouring, you know, that. Yeah. It was in a remote area. But here so, they are. They've been bugging them for however long. That's interesting. Yeah. Was Is that, that has to be one of the most, well, I don't know. You've had some other unique deals. Would you say that's yeah, one of the most unique ones? It is. It is. Along the way too, I learned that you can sell land before you own it. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we had a 20 acre parcel that I thought was grossly undervalued because we, we thought we could sell two 10 acres for the same price that the 20 acres was. It was right on a road. It was, mm-hmm. it was what you know, and I see those going. So I just paid full price for it. And, and I, and then I pushed it out for closing as long as we could. Mm-hmm. And so I pushed it out for a 90 day closing. And, and that gave me the time to immediately turn and have those two 10 acres separated and, and then put both those on the market. And actually when I closed on the 20, the two tens had already sold or were closing at the same time. So when I, I walked out of the closing without ever even really technically just owning on paper briefly yeah. a second and uh, walking out with the check, you know, from the two 10 acres that we sold and never even really stepped foot on the 20 that we even owned. Which is pretty amazing. But do you think that by being a real estate appraiser, you're able to have an above average pulse on what the market is doing. Sure. And, and, and you're looking, you're pulling comps yeah. all the time. Yeah. You're constantly looking at what market value is because market value wasn't what one person's willing to, one idiot is willing <laughs> to pay too high for parcels with the average yeah. market that's educated, meaning not school educated, but educated, you know, typically you go buy a washer and dryer. You're not just walking in saying, here's my card. I want those silver ones. You, mm-hmm. You're actually looking at uh, reviews you're um, understanding what the market is, what they should be selling for. Mm-hmm. And it's no different than land or anything else you purchase. You're not just going into buying a car and have no clue what it is. You just pay it. You're mm-hmm. actually a little bit educated mm-hmm. about what that car should be selling for. And that's the same with land. That's what the market value is. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'd see that all the time. You'd see high sales, low sales, and then you see a whole bunch of sales in the middle that reflect the true market. Yeah. And so that gave me a leg up. I had someone up there in the UP that taught me appraisals, that taught me about a lot of creative financing as far as even land contracts. Typically, you pay more for a house when it's a land contract because you have more favorable financing. You don't mm-hmm. have to put as much down. You have to go through a credit check uh, yep. process. So you can expect that. And your interest rate's probably going to be a little bit higher. Yeah. So, And then, you know, learn that learn about splitting land. And, and then a lot of times, if you are in an area and you're buying and selling land a lot, it's really good to get to know one agent or two that they'll bring you deals because they know that you want to buy it and then turn around and fix it up and sell it. Yeah, and so if them. you're doing that, <laughs> yeah. you know, people are more favorable to bring you a deal when you're yeah. just working with them all the time. Yeah. So, and that, that that's even like Chad around here. If I told me, hey, you know, we need something, we want to fix it up and sell it, we have some money mm-hmm. to invest. Uh, you know, I'm sure he has a lot of other people, but at least, at least it'd be more favorable for us finding a new piece. Yeah, I mean, so, it's a relationship-driven business. It is. That's, that's the fact of it. Yeah, Um, definitely. So what, it sounds like some of the best resources along the way were actually just people and being able to, to best resource for people bringing you deals, talking to other people that are familiar with the market. What are some other resources that were important? You know, at that, back then we didn't have online creative ways to buy land. Mm -hmm. And so now you do. And uh, so how to buy your first hunting parcel. I'm sure if you start Googling, you could find a lot of information (laughs) to tell you about some of these special ways to buy land. Yeah. But, you know, in reality, it seems like you have to have more money down now. Your credit has to be extremely high. Mm -hmm. Of course, your income to debt ratios. It seems like everything has to fall more into a very narrow window for you to to be able to buy land. Where in the past, you could be more creative and purchase land Mm -hmm. without as much money or as much money down. And you just just can't do that nowadays. So. Mm Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a rule of thumb. You twenty percent down now, right? Um, or with, higher? Yeah, with a lot of yeah, especially with vacant land or raw land. And that's the thing too. I think it's important to talk to a bank that actually understands hunting, mm-hmm. where other I think some banks just see it's raw ground. The taxes are fifty dollars a year. Right. <laughs> this can't be worth anything. Right. Versus banks that specialize it, and or or bank that you have some sort of relationship with mm-hmm. too that you've done other deals with. Sure. I think that's super important. What do you think was a common myth or misconception? When it comes to and th- let's we'll we'll gauge this more to today. Wh- what are some common myths or misconceptions that people might have that aren't very familiar with the actual land buying process that you think would be like, wow, I probably wouldn't know that, but I, you should. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to think of that. You know, I I know a lot of times people don't realize how much money they have to put down, yeah, and so <clears throat> or the amount of credit that they have to have to purchase mm-hmm. something, and so. Your first step in the land buying process is not going online and looking at pieces. It's not going and looking at pieces in person. It's talking to a local lender to see exactly how realistic you are in your purchasing needs and exactly what price range that you could potentially look in and and secure a a deal. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that because in, in my shoes, you get someone that's excited. They want to go look at a piece. And it's like, well, wait, wait a minute. Like, where are you at in this process? Cause there's right. the things that you just talked about. And I cannot imagine, imagine what would be more disheartening. And then you go walk it, you fall in love with it. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you can't buy it. Uh, you know, what's frustrating too, is like, if you go to XYZ big bank, mm-hmm. then you might get, you know, lender Sally that's been there for a year and a half. And she's just looking to, make deals and try to yeah. 
and she doesn't really know a lot because it takes a lot as a banker to know all the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different facets of lending. And, uh, and, and I can say I wasn't a lender for that long and I, I had a lot to learn yeah. when I left the bank and went into appraisals. But the, uh, we had a situation where someone was going to buy our house in September, October last year. And uh, they had a letter from a local uh, institution, not a local bank, but a local uh, branch of a mm-hmm. big bank. And uh, they had an approval letter. And it was a clean pr- approval letter. It was yeah. pretty good. They had about the same offer as everyone else. We had offers, multiple offers right away. But they had a really good approval. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, 30 days later, they get a rejection letter and they didn't qualify. And uh, and they went to another bank and the other bank, a local bank, said, you know, five branches or whatever said, you should have never been approved in the first place. Wow. And so that was something else. I felt truly bad for the kid. He was yeah. 24, 25 years old. He was in the military. He was excited to buy his first home. I guess he had a clean record. He just didn't have enough money down. His debt to income ratios more just numbers wise, he, he wasn't a good fit. And mm-hmm. anybody could have seen that right off the bat. But we had a letter saying he was Gosh, I, I always intended on calling up that bank. I was pretty upset. Yeah. You know, of course, you let it go, and you just yeah. don't want the hassle. But I really felt bad for the kid because he probably told all his friends and family he's buying this. Yeah, and he was just excited. And mm-hmm. so to see that, because because we put it back on the market, and within a week and a half, we had multiple offers. We took the best one and it ended up closing. Mm-hmm. But uh, we felt bad for him. And and if he would have gone to a local lender, it would have saved us a lot of hassle was saved him a lot of hassle. He would have more realistic expectations mm-hmm. as opposed to just XYZ Bank that was just trying to turn a number uh, for the month or add it to their stats. Yeah, and I think one thing too, when you're actually getting pre-qualified, when they pull your credit, you can go get it pulled by a bunch of other banks too and you can shop around a bit too. Sure. And maybe maybe that would have that solved that issue too if he just would have got um, a few more right off the pre-qualifications bat. and then you go back, well, I didn't get pre-approved from this bank. How come I could get a pre pre-qualified from you and that would have unfolded that well oh yeah right right before it started so so that's your first step is always a competent lowell local lender um especially when it comes to vacant land i mean you Mm -hmm. you can't go to these big banks even if you bank there so what you Mm -hmm. need to you need to go to a local lender and figure it out and and a lot of times you know maybe you could call a realtor in in the area and uh and say hey can you can you recommend a local lender looking at buying some land? And I don't want to waste your time. I just want to see. And, you know, and that gets into something too about competition nowadays. And I, and I told you a story recently about a lender that, or a uh, broker or a real estate agent that went out to a list and he was just walking the property, oh, came yeah. back to his vehicle mm-hmm. and there are three people waiting for him to make an offer on the land that wasn't even listed yet. They literally followed him to the land. We're waiting for him just because the land in the area is that sought after. Mm-hmm. And and so nowadays it's you, what I see and what the lenders will say around here is a lot of times the local people, farmers, people that are entrenched in this area, they'll take a lot more time to purchase something because they remember the land when it was thousands of dollars less per acre. Yeah. You know, five hundred dollars breaker. Now mm-hmm. it's four thousand, and so they drag their feet. Well, it's not worth that much, and then it sells, and they never have a chance to buy it again. Yeah. And, and so you have to make decisions fast, and that doesn't matter if the if the market's slow or fast. If there's a piece you want, yeah, you know, paying an extra two or three percent more than you think, or five percent, and hold on to it, and, and you think you're going to have it for thirty years, is going to amount to a hill of beans. Mm-hmm. You're going to look back and say, "Remember when land was this? Exactly. And that's what you paid yeah. for it." And, yeah. But 
Yeah. No, that's that's a that's great advice. Well, even look at the piece that you're scooping up or that you just bought. Yeah. 1855 and you're th- you guys are the first person to like if we're you guys the second owners yeah if you if you would have bought it then you might not have been able to buy it ever right someone yeah, else could have bought buys it, it yeah. yeah someone else could have bought it and held on to it forever and then you yeah. would be like gosh dang i wish we just would have done it it would you know make it work um, yeah i'm hoping we can be here for another 30 <laughs> years but i'd be 81 and yeah. and uh you know it'll obviously go back on the market at some point sooner than yeah 100 and 70 years or 75 years whatever it was mm-hmm. so you've gone to how many client trips again roughly? about 1126 states so 1100 properties yeah your clients so obviously you're talking to these people they're paying you to go mm-hmm. walk their property and provide results what are what are some of the characteristics of these people that that you see over time that are especially first generation landowners as well what does that what does that person look like you know, it's interesting. As far as my clients go, the average client amount, I would say over half of them, and I talked to Dylan about this the other day, because Dylan will visit close to 30 clients this year himself, but over half are uh, small business owners and self-employed. And so that puts them in a unique category because they're used to uh, valuing help. You know, when you work for someone else, someone else is making all the decisions, but when you have your own business, you have to rely on your attorney, your accountant, and all the people that will help you along the way with whatever facet of business you're in. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of people. Uh, so it's pretty natural for you to hire a consultant. And mm-hmm. so, and I'm trying to think of first-time land buyers. What I see a lot is it's you see a lot of family mm-hmm. where this is dad, you know, chipped in for this, and now yeah. the boys can get some land. They're looking at it for grandkids. Yeah. And so there's a lot of family people that I work with. You know, you're going around with. There is uh, a team that I that came to our charity event on Sunday and they were previous clients, but it was a father, son, and grandson. And That's so cool. I, I see a lot of those kind of things, either father and kids and then daughters, whatever. And mm-hmm. then, and then also that grandpa, you know, that's mm-hmm. in the mix. And so I see a lot of people buying land like that, where even grandpa finally passed away mm-hmm. and they'd hunted together for years. It's sad, but Oh, by the way, grandpa left you some money. Mm-hmm. And, and not only would they have known grandpa would have, wanted them to buy some land and enjoy yeah. the hunting tradition and keep it going on mm-hmm. but they, it's what they wanted to do in the first place so it's yeah. it's uh kind of you see them buying land almost with emotion that this is something we want and to make grandpa proud and yeah so you see a lot of that kind of stuff too yeah. so it's kind of cool to and then i, I see a lot of people that have owned the land for years and they just there's a diminishing return each year they're, because they keep beating their head against the wall yeah, doing what's going on doing uh things that aren't helping them yeah and uh but a lot of people it's their it's their dream, yeah. You know, to buy land, and so it's it's really cool to be a part of that and help them out. Is this is this the fruition of your dream coming true? Like where we're at right here? Yeah, I is you know I what? never honestly I never when we went to buy the land last year, it just it was we didn't even look at it at first because it was out of our price range. We didn't realize that he had 160 acres on here that didn't need to go with this, mm-hmm. and so. When we came into it, we were looking for a house in 40 and ended up buying that on a mortgage. And we bought another couple pieces on land contract. And mm-hmm. we didn't even realize that was an option mm-hmm. going into it. And so that worked out well just because we could, you know, buy this 40 acres, the home, have that. And then we had the land contract pieces separate. So that was, that was a different option too, that a lot mm-hmm. of times, especially in bigger land parcels, then if someone has the means to own that and they're selling it to buy something a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. In fact, 
that person had already bought something that was three times the size wow. in, the, in the house cabin they had is much bigger the outbuildings mm-hmm. so they were really stepping up but they had the resources to buy that without even selling this mm-hmm. and so that made it favorable conditions for land contract so when you say land, con- land contract are you saying like a contract for deed type deal yes okay got yeah. it yeah. how do you structure a lot of those is it is everyone different i would assume and i haven't done a lot of them it's usually you know what worked is we were we were paying this house off so he was getting a check for 40 acres in the house mm-hmm. a big check mm-hmm. and so this individual kind of looked at it like you know that's almost like a down payment for the other two pieces so we put a minimal amount down on the other two mm-hmm. and then we structured one in terms of when we thought we could pay them off or get to a point where we could secure bank financing easily mm-hmm. and so one we had to pay off in a year and the other we had three years for is the bigger one so um, we'll actually pay the one off next week, um, the small exciting, one. So, yeah. yeah, it is exciting. So, well, it, it, you're self-employed too, obviously. Which, yeah, uh, I'm self-employed, <laughs> yeah. so I understand that. And I think sometimes banks and self-employed people more risky. Well, you know what's interesting? When we went through even the process of buying the house, we were getting to the end stage, and it's very frustrating process. But. And I had been in lending, but when you're self-employed and in COVID times, they made made me write a letter. At, explaining why we were still making money isn't that crazy like they it's almost like they don't believe you we had to give them our bank deposits basically up to the friday before we closed it was constant just to Mm -hmm. show that we weren't having a decline yeah and it was interesting when you're self-employed you know not always but in our case we have different income streams and Mm so unlike some of my friends lost their jobs through covid because they worked for someone Mm -hmm. and they only had one income stream basically we were a lot more we were a lot less risky yeah maybe one because we have increased but other things increased drastically yeah and in all our areas have been increasing the whole time so it was we had to show those numbers we had to break it down we had to be patient and at times i was not patient it was frustrating Mm -hmm. and so i can remember writing that that letter of explanation it took me hours at a buffalo wild wings in ohio you know just <laughs> sitting there on a day off just hammering out this letter that yeah. i didn't want to do it ended up like two and a half pages and yeah broke it down and they said they'd never seen a letter of explanation like that but i just wanted to be very thorough and break yeah. down every single area and all the percentage of increase and why each area had been increasing and why we saw that there was no need for a two de- decrease no matter if we had covid or you know yeah. if there's covid or not and so but you know that's the that's the bad thing about you know again they have to look at black and white decisions. Yep. In our case, we were much risk much less risky than the average person working for someone else mm-hmm. because we were self employed. Yeah, and and multiple streams too. Yeah, of right. And, and that's the thing too. I mean, <clears throat> people need to be realistic. We, we you know if you're self employed, yeah, it's great if you get cash and and if someone's getting cash and they're thinking, well, I'll just use this for paying for gas and food and whatever else. But you have to show you make money to actually be able to go into and get a loan. <laughs> yeah. And you, you could look at some self-employed businesses that are primarily cash. You know they make a lot of money, but they can't show it. So you're not going to be able to borrow anything. Yeah. And that's just a sad truth. So if you want to have dreams of buying land, buying a house, and you're self-employed, you better show it. And then at the same time, you might be closing in... You know, we closed June 5th, 2019, and we're doing really well in two, or, uh, 2020. But we could only look at our average between 2018 and 2019. So if you're increasing every year and you're mm-hmm. doing well in your business, 
you're looking at a window and it might even be a three-year average but it was it was far below what we were making at that current level mm-hmm. and so that was a little discouraging too it's like you can show bank deposits what you're making yeah. you can show these different income streams and so uh you know, again, you better show the money, and yeah. you're not going to be able to borrow, and go into it knowing that they they might take an average income mm-hmm. that's f- well below what you're currently making, yeah, or what you, yeah, exactly, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're, what you're referring to, and I think that's the importance of laying a foundation, maybe because it's a very big decision, and maybe if it takes two years to plan and get prepared and be able to be ready to go borrow money, right. That's which important. is which is where at least I had a little bit of financial background, so I yeah. understood where they're coming from in most cases. Um, but at the same time, it was it's again it goes back to going to your local financial institution and being very real, realistic with your search. You're not wasting everyone's time. Yeah. Well, I, we have some more more things to, to hash out here today. I, that. As in, from the other side of the business, I couldn't agree with that piece of advice more. Good. And I think uh, it's key. And I, we'll end on this. Um, how, where does bind land land in your like most proud moments, most exciting moments, or like this, this is episode four here, so I'm working on <laughs> yeah. some of the pillar yeah. questions here. But where does where does land ownership rank in like your this? I don't. I don't want to say like life achievements or like highlights and lowlights. Yeah, I, yeah. It's like <laughs> what? What is it like? Because I mean, it, for so many people, it's the dream. Like you mentioned, like it's multiple generations. A lot of times, piecing together to make it happen. Because that's. I'll tell you what. I it's you know buying buying and selling land is pretty black and white to me, but there's times when it's not. And and what I mean by that, the first piece was incredible. It was the same section I'd hunted for eight years. I knew all the neighbors. I loved the area. And to be honest, I've driven, I, I was actually, I worked for the neighbor across the street twice. He's been a client twice. And so that's the only time I've actually driven by there because I had, we planted 9,000 trees on that property. Mm-hmm. You get to know the land, love the area. And I just didn't even want to drive back by to look at the property. It Gosh. was that emotional of a, yeah, this is the best thing to do mm-hmm. going forward, but it was really hard. Yeah. And what I'm finding out here, like I've had leased land, mm-hmm. the, pe- the piece in Wisconsin I had, we had one for 12 years and then we've had one, this will be the seventh or eighth hunting season coming up on that one. And you, know, you have a connection with the land, but you're leasing it. And so you never walk on it with the thought that I can do these things long term and, and, and it's mine for this short period of time because mm-hmm. you know, we have it for 30 years. Let's face it, it's short. And, yeah. and so I guess when, you know, when you're looking at the land and you look at it as this is a long term, I don't think the deer hunting is long term. That's different. I think you should be able to have results, quality results within one year. You know, the first mm-hmm. year you should be able to make big differences. But I love that connection of land. And so it's being able to drive on the property, just go for a slow cruise, show the land to people. And you start to look at the trees a lot different. Like, you know, you like that big oak tree in that spot. This is a cool feature of the land. Big difference from leasing. And and I think, you know, that emotional tie to the land and being connected to the land is something that some people can't ever really experience until they actually own land for themselves work on it because i bought and sold land just to sell it and i didn't really care you know mm-hmm. it's just a numbers thing even the piece in alma we hunted at my son sam i shot a really beautiful 10 point on it with a crossbow 
but we bought that to sell it. Mm-hmm. And so even though we saw big buck pictures, I'd get excited, but then I always in the back of my head, we're selling it. We're selling it. And, and so, but when you finally buy a piece that you want to hold for a while, it's special. Sure. And, uh, and that, that's what I love, you know, about buying land. That's mm-hmm. the most is uh, getting to know the land. And, and that's something, again, uh, I, I think that's one of the most special things about owning land along the way. Perfect. We'll close out with that. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll link to you as always. Sure. And uh, always appreciate your time. You're very generous. I know you have a lot of things going on, and you're, oh, no, uh, you've taken always. the time to record with us uh, for a lot, and we really, really appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, it was great. I always enjoy recording with you guys. All right, there you guys have it. Just want to say thanks for Jeff for all of his time and hospitality. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, a written review would go a long ways to help reach new listeners. And also, I know I'm beating it to death, but there is the resource sign up in the link tree below. If it's something you're interested in, be sure to do that. And until next time, see you guys.